Welcome to the Business of Security podcast, episode number six. Your host is Ron Warner. Today, he'll be talking with Chris Hadnagy, author and CEO of Social Engineer LLC. Now, let's get to it. need to start talking about that we're not doing today. Information technology is built on a horrible foundation. If we could sort of redo and start from the beginning, we would be so much better off. If you don't invest in it and keep it running, it will blow up. We also have to be able to go in with solutions, not just problems. We have a long way to go if we're going to win this fight. At the end of the day, educated people are really the best countermeasure against all the threats, the threats, the threats, the threats. Welcome to the Business of Security podcast. I'm your host, Ron Warner. With me today is my guest, Mr. Chris Logan Hadnagy. Chris is CEO, founder, and chief human hacker of Social Engineer, LLC. In 2011, he wrote his first book, Social Engineer, The Art of Human Hacking. His latest book that was just published is the follow-on, Social Engineer, The Science of Human Hacking. Chris has also run the Social Engineering Capture the Flag at DEF CON for the past eight years. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ron. Good to be here. Chris, how did you get into social engineering? Are you just a natural con artist? <laughs> no, as a matter of fact, I'm not. Um, it it kind of is a fluke. Like I don't want to go through the you know the whole long boring history, but I could say that through my uh, job history, employment history, I definitely had a knack for doing human based things. And then when I started working with offensive security as their operations manager, I realized uh, truly what that knack could be used for in the security realm and began to foster and practice and use my social engineering skills during, a pe- during penetration testing. And that just kind of bled into writing the world's first framework. Uh, before I wrote the book that you mentioned, uh, I wrote the framework that lives on social-engineer.org that kind of outlines all the skills I needed to learn to become a social engineer. And that kind of led into what what the book is, and that book led to my company. Chris, are social engineers born or bred? In other words, is it an innate ability to be able to work with people, to talk to people, or is it one you can learn or anyone can learn over time? So how do you become a social engineer? That's actually a really good question. So I, I don't think it's just an innate ability. I do think there are certain people who will have an easier time at learning to be social engineers, maybe because they're extroverts or they're not afraid of, of chatting up um, strangers or, or dealing with um, interesting circumstances. So I think there are those kinds of folks that will um, have a, a, an easier time at it. But with that said, uh, one of my employees, a good friend, Ryan McDougal, just gave a speech at uh, DEF CON SE Village about how he went from an extreme introvert to being my lead social engineer penetration tester here at my company. And uh, he's still very much an introvert, but he accomplishes these tasks. Uh, it may have taken him longer than it took me, um, but he's amazing at the job. So I, I think really it's anyone with any type of personality can become a social engineer. It really depends on how much passion you have for it and how much time and energy you put into learning those skills. So like anything else, if you have that passion, the drive, you can learn it and enhance our innate abilities. You mentioned some interesting situations you sometimes get into with social engineering and your penetration testing of humans. Can you maybe talk about one or two of those? Do you have any good stories on what has happened with uh, your testing? Of course, keep it all anonymous. We don't want to hurt any uh, organization 
Yeah, so um, I have an interesting one. It's just recent one, actually. Is uh, we uh, Ryan and I, uh, we were we were going to be breaking into an office building, and we were going to be portraying as pest control because we had done some research and found that the particular month that we were going to this location, there was um, a need for some uh, pest control in the area. So we thought this would be a very good way to go about it. We had done some OSINT and found which company they use. So we actually had made outfits that matched that company, thinking that we would be let right onto the site. Um, and then we went uh, the night before. Everything was closed up. We went to the location the night before to scope it out and to see if we can you know, just kind of get a lay of the land so we knew what we were looking for, act, act like we were been there before. Well, we had gotten spotted on camera um, <laughs> the night before. And when we arrived the next morning to try to uh, to actually breach and break in, the security guards had watched the tape and saw us the night before and and arrested us. So <laughs> that was an interesting <laughs> that was an interesting one. Um, had arrested us, and then of course we had to you know pull out to get out of jail free. Uh, yes. uh, you know, I like to tell that story just because um, I think most people start off telling stories by all the wins they have. That's an interesting one that we uh, we ended up getting caught and getting, getting arrested. <laughs> well, if you think about it, it is a win in a way because you're testing the organization's security. And they, and they won. Yes, <laughs> which is a good thing. Uh, the whole idea, I'm assuming, is to encourage the right behaviors with security. So if they're, they catch you in the act, that can be a good thing, I would imagine. It, it is. And then we did come back later on that night, though. Um, and nobody was there, and we ended up breaching the building using a, 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 just a, a metal a piece of metal, a long piece of metal that we bent into an L. We were able to stick it through the gap in the door and open the doors. We you know, went through the whole place, found a whole bunch of computers with their passwords on sticky notes. Um, and then for fun, the security guards that arrested us, uh, we took our bug spraying equipment and left it in their office. So. <laughs> You left a calling card, if you will. Yeah, we left a calling card to let them know that, that we did get in eventually. Um, but that ended up being a really good engagement because, we, like you said before, we had some great things to tell them that how uh, during the day they had stopped us and the security guards were very on point. But at night, the security was lacking, and we were able to even get into the knock of this location, uh, being able to, to breach even the most sensitive areas of the, of the organization uh, because nighttime security was lacking. So it was um, it was good from both angles where we got to praise them a lot, but also offer them up some very serious recommendations for change. That's a great point is that we're not just here to catch folks when they're doing things wrong, but sometimes even catching them when they're doing things right. So this way they can learn and build from those things. Chris, you mentioned a term. I just want to make sure our audience is familiar with it. OSINT. What is OSINT? Oh yeah, you know I always do this. I say I just blurt out these these acronyms like OSINT and Vishing and other and then I don't explain them. So OSINT stands for Open Source Intelligence. Um, so in in essence, getting information on your targets by only using open source um, resources. So things like going to Google or looking on the internet, looking on their website, seeing places they spoke, their social media, things that you don't have to pay for to access are all parts of OSINT. That also means uh, physical things like going on site and looking at the building, looking at their employees, how do they dress, their badges, physically getting a view of of their resources. All of these things are open source because you're not paying to do it. So they're considered open source intelligence gathering techniques. 
Very good. Thank you for that explanation. I also see the need to understand the intelligence and pulling information from all different types of sources. Of course, open source is often the best. What are some of the top sites you use to get, gather information about an organization? So Google by far is my favorite. Right? Okay. Uh, Google just, uh, it's, the, it's the social engineer's best friend. But uh, with that being said, um, Michael Basil, uh, who's an ex-FBI agent who now is retired and does a ton of OSINT-related activities. His website is in intelltechniques.com, and on that site he has a tools section where he has he has put together a list of search engines that go through most of the best sites that I would use. So literally, instead of listing them all, I say go check his site out, and he's got a list of, of search engines there that go everything from um, you know, search engines like Google and Bing and Yahoo to reverse image searches to telephone number searches to username searches, um, GPS location searches, all those different types of things are all there. And then um, the, the, thir- the third thing I'll mention is uh, Maltigo, huge fan of Maltigo. Now, that is a uh, – there is a free edition, which is awesome, but there's a paid-for edition, which is even more awesome. But Maltigo is, is by far my favorite commercial tool when it comes to – to social engineering and OSINT. Great references. So that's uh, intelltechniques.com was the one yes. you mentioned, correct? And then Multigo. And then, of course, Google. Google's the world's number one hacking tool. People don't yeah, <laughs> I think so. And I love your quote, Google, the social engineer's best friend. Yes, uh, it is. <laughs> I love that. You recently updated your book. Social Engineer, The Art of Human Hacking. It's now titled Social Engineer, The Science of Human Hacking. Why the change in the title, Art to Science? Maybe if you can talk to us about the art and science of social engineering. Sure. When I started uh, when I started in the career and I wrote that first book, it was very much like art. You know, it was how I felt today would, would determine the the pretext that I would use. It was It was very in the sense of artistic, in the sense of uh, the flair for the dramatic and the way that things would be applied. And it was, it was not clear to me why things worked. So yeah, I'd walk in, smile, tilt my head, use a great pretext, build some rapport, and people would fold, do whatever I asked. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome. And I would write about it, put blogs out, newsletters, podcasts, and then the book. And people were like, yes, this works. It's amazing. Well, jump forward a decade, right? Because that book came out in 2010, and um, and now we're here, or, or eight, not a decade, like eight years later, and a decade for me doing the actual work. And I start to go, I hired people. And people are now saying to me, hey, how do I do the thing that you just did? And I had to learn how to duplicate the process. And anytime you want a duplicatable process, science comes into play. Right? So if I want to be able to duplicate exactly what I did and teach someone who may not have a natural skill, I need to explain, well, here's why a head tilt works, and here's how much of a head tilt is needed. Here's why rapport makes people want to help you, and here's how to build rapport. So I had to begin to understand all the things that were working from a very scientific level. So in that research of the last eight years, it became evident I needed to change the book. I needed to update the book with all of the sciences that I've been studying for the last eight years, all the things that I've used as internal training tools for my staff, and it just motivated me to reissue the book in a, um, with an update from the art to the science with m- many more 
amazing stories as well as a lot of scientific research backing up all the things that I, I state in the book. Because really, this is not anything tremendously new. I mean, in the cyber realm, it's new. But the idea of how do we influence others has been around almost since the beginning of time. Is there things like a business leader can learn from your book to learn how to better influence within their organization? Well, you know, I love that question. No one ever asked me that. So uh, funny enough, in my course, I have a five-day course where I kind of walk through a lot of the things that are in that new book and and we train people how to use social engineering. And in my course, in the last couple of years, I've had professors, teachers, law enforcement agents, CEOs. I even had one Zumba instructor, um, um, comedians, magicians. I've had people from all walks of life come through the course, and I never, I didn't write it with that intent. So when I wrote the course, I didn't go, oh, this is going to be great for all these people. But people would go and read the syllabus online and say, oh, I'm going to go take this. I don't care about security i'm going to go take this for another reason and i would ask them hey why are you in the course and they would tell me uh you know i'm a magician i wanted to learn how to use these skills and in influencing people i'm like oh that's odd okay great you know thanks for being a student and then the, the class is done and they're emailing me telling me how much it's enhanced their career and their life and i'm like oh, that's amazing so over the years i've seen so many different walks of life come through the course and it benefits every single one of them Let's take a short break and hear a success story from our sponsor, TrustMap, the business management system for security leaders. Hey, this is Chad Beckman. I just want to quickly introduce uh, Pam Broat. Pam, welcome. Thank you. Pam, tell us a little bit about your background and what you're doing with the Roundtable Network. Yeah, so, well, first, thanks for having me. I... uh... My background is I've been in cybersecurity for uh, 18, 19 years now, which is a long time for this um, sector. And um, I've primarily been during that time serving the, the CISO community. You know, so I have a really rich network of Fortune 1000 CISOs. And I've just launched my third services business last year. And it's really to address a market need that the CISOs have around understanding which technologies to look at to fight the war. There's thousands of cybersecurity vendors and they're getting hundreds of unsolicited uh, calls every week. And if they actually ferreted through uh, which vendors to look at, it would be a full-time job. So I do that for them. And I do that in a very specific way by uh, identifying four or five products each quarter that I introduced to them in a one-on-one meeting. So I meet with each of my Fortune 50, Fortune 500 executives, I have 50 of them, uh, for one hour each quarter to present those products. And they love it, um, and it helps them understand which products are worthy and deserve to be above the noise. Um, there's a little bit more to it. I do other services for them, but that's the centerpiece. Very cool. So you're helping to really uh, sort through the noise, as it were. That's a very big topic now amongst the CISO community, particularly with all the vendors uh, that uh, sometimes have great solutions and other times they have a different spin on an old idea. Uh, so tell us a little bit about uh, the success of your program. Uh, I, I, you know, candidly, I'm responsible for TrustMap and we've worked together, but um, what kind of success have you seen in, in What's the most successful product out of your program today? You know, obviously I have two, uh, two customers in a sense, right? But my primary client is my CISOs, the 50 Fortune 500 CISOs that I serve. And I do not take money 
uh, from the vendors, I really am relying on bringing value to the CISOs. And when I do, I monetize in that way. So every quarter I'm reinventing myself. So every quarter I really do have to find four or five products or services, it can be a service as well, that hit a pain point. Because I'm having 50 one-on-one conversations every single quarter with these executives, it's fairly easy for me to recognize a product that would meet a need. Um, And then of course I go through a a very rigorous process of, of vetting that solution to make sure that they can deliver and deliver at scale because I don't want my executives to be the um, guinea pig, so to speak. The process is, 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 a, is a long one around vetting. And then as far as successful products, I, I have to say that TrustMap's been my most successful vendor. And how do I measure success? How many of my 50 Fortune 500 CISOs said, I've got to see this product. I have this problem to solve. Over 30, so more than half of my network said, you know, you had me at hello, actually. (laughs) I do the presentation, I do a short five to seven minute presentation on each of my vendors each quarter. And I usually don't get all the way through the presentation on TrustMap because they resonate so well with the problem that you solve, which is, you know, they need to measure their program and show progress to the executive team and the board. And they're doing this right now manually. And so to automate that and make it put more rigor and consistency behind it is crucial. Actually, it's crucial to their success and their role. You know, a lot of CISOs these days, um, you know, their jobs are on the line and they have to show what they're doing um, to their peers, to their leadership team and to the board. That's wonderful. Thanks for that summary, Pam. I really appreciate it. Uh, If the CISOs want to get a hold of you uh, or perhaps some innovative vendors out there, what's the best way for them to get in contact? I'll just suggest that they go to my website. Um, Obviously, it's really easy to get a hold of me from there. My website is theroundtablenetwork.com, and you should be able to find me. Great. So for everybody, that was theroundtablenetwork.com. Pam, thank you very much for taking time to talk about your program and the success that TrustMap has had. I appreciate it. Thanks for inviting me. Remember, listeners of the podcast can schedule a free trial of TrustMap at trustmap.com slash business. Now let's get back to the show. What are some of the top skills a business leader can learn from your course or from the book? Are there a couple of tips you can provide? Yeah. Uh, there's a couple that come to mind right away, so, and they're ones that I use as as a business owner and a CEO with with 11 employees. There's, these are ones that I use. So the first and foremost is is communication profiling. So we use a tool called DISC, and it's a it, it's a very quick way to profile someone's method of communicating to the outside world. And when I understand your communication method, and you and I are going to be very different how we communicate, if I want to influence you. Let's say at an employee review, I need you to fix some things that you're doing that aren't that great. So I'll be like, Ron, I need you to fix these things. Well, I can walk in as a CEO and say, hey, I'm the boss. You're going to fix these things or you're fired. That's one option. Or I can speak to you in your communication profile, which would motivate you to make your changes your idea. And now you want to do them. And that makes it much easier to, to affect change in my employees. So discommunication top of the uh, profiling is top of the, the food chain there. And secondly, nonverbals, uh, being able to read someone's nonverbal communication, body language, facial expressions, helps you see the things that they're not saying. 
the emotion that they may be feeling that they're not willing to talk about. Uh, and that feels a little dirty when you say it that way, but the way you use it is not to call somebody out. So it's not like, hey, Ron, I, you look angry. What, what's wrong with you? It's not that. It's we're talking. Maybe we're doing our review. And I notice when I mention Joe, every time I mention Joe, your face gets a little angry. Maybe that tells me that there's a problem between you and Joe that you don't want to talk about. And that can help me to be more aware of the situation. That can help me to look for times where I can maybe smooth the relationship out or if need be to actually address it and find out what the problem is to help fix it. So from a C level, um, there's, I can go through the whole book and tell you every one skill that would, how it would work. But those two are the top of the, the line for me on how I use them as a, as a CEO. So understanding communications and then creating that empathy with others, being able to see things as they are seeing it, not just as we want how we want them to see it or from our own perspective. Am I capturing that correctly? Yeah, I think you did. I remember we did a podcast probably seven years ago, and I asked one of the top skills about listening. So maybe if you can talk about the importance of being able to listen as a leader and as a social engineer and uh, and observation. Yeah, active listening is a skill that not many people have. Um, And active listening is a sense is, is listening to what you're saying, but not thinking about what I'm going to say next. So, and that's hard. So many people, because everybody, we as humans want to be prepared. So I don't want to have to go, "Ah, give me a second to think about that because you may think I'm dumb, but active listening means that I'm listening to you, taking in what you're saying with interest. And then I'm going to reply to that after I listen. And that's a skill that works everywhere, including social engineering. People, it's very validating when someone feels that you're actually listening to them and actively doing so and showing interest in the things that they are going to say. So that that skill can really go a long way in making people feel comfortable with you with building rapport and with having a chance to influence others. The importance of the human factor, you've been the champion of this for a decade, as you put it, which is great. Uh, Would you rather have great technology or great human skills? Hmm. Well, I think that's an easy one for me. I'd rather have great, great human skills. Um, you know what I've seen over the last, uh, let's say, four or five years in this industry is our software and hardware companies have done a great job at hardening the perimeter, making it very difficult. And I remember, I remember, and I'm not old, I remember the days when PDF exploits were all the rage. I mean, you could you can download Metasploit, embed them in, into any PDF, and bam, you were hacking the universe. Uh, those things don't exist anymore. They've even made it more difficult to 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 get rid of um, uh, PowerShell exploitation. Uh, it's it's become hard to hack the perimeter just through anything but an O-day. The humans are really where we're finding the vulnerabilities. BEC scams, what they're up another eight hundred percent last quarter. That's all human, right? Uh, phishing emails in what what do they say? Eighty-seven or ninety-one percent of all. Uh, um, breaches have something to do with phishing emails. There's call centers set up for phishing attacks against uh, every, every industry, including homeowners and older folks. So I, you're, you're seeing the human factor being used in, in every sort of attack. I would rather have strong human skills because I think that's where we're heading when it comes to the security realm, but also I think it helps me in, in personal life too. 
How do we solve these challenges? You mentioned all of the attacks against humans. Fishing has, continues to be a major breach, as you mentioned the statistics. By the way, my whole idea is 42% of statistics are made up. So, <laughs> But we do know it's a significant portion of that fishing and human factors. How do we solve this problem? How do we create better humans to be less vulnerable against these types of attacks? Well, you see, here's the thing. Um, It doesn't matter where you are in this industry or in career. If you are a human and not AI or robotic, then you are vulnerable to these attacks. You know, people have been asked before, so because you do this, you're probably impossible to hack. No, I've been fished. I've been vished successfully. Uh, Being aware of the attacks does not make you impervious to their designs. It's, um, it's, It's the only way to stay protected is to continually educate your populations on these type of vectors, how they feel when they're getting hacked, and what to do after it happens. You're never going to have a situation where you're 100% safeguarded from social engineering attacks. So it's like a two-part, it's a three-part process. Educate them on what these attacks are and what they look like. Let them know how it feels when they're being attacked, and that's through active testing, like phishing testing and phishing testing and things like that. And then have a proper um, non-fear-based reporting mechanism for your employees. And companies that do that generally bounce back from attacks or safeguard from attacks much better than companies that don't have that process nailed down. It's almost like the old adage, you know, plan to fail. Yes. Failure is inevitable. Um, we all, and it's yeah. not that I'm a pessimist, actually. I'm very much just a realist. It can and will happen. As you mentioned, you yourself have been fished. As I bet anyone listening to this have also had this happen to them. It's knowing how to respond rather than react when the bad thing happens. Do you have any tips for proper response when you when you think something bad has happened due to phishing or you might have released information to someone maybe you shouldn't have? Yeah, I can tell you that the proper thing to not do is to brush it under the rug and hope nothing happens. <laughs> Um, the, the hard part in answering that question is from a corporate perspective, it really depends on what your company has set up. So if your company has no proper reporting mechanism, then what are they supposed to do? So the company first needs to have a place that employees know they need to go if they've fallen for a fish. So if, if I've been fished and, and, and I fell for it, who do I report this to in my company? Right? So even in my small company, we have a sysadmin, and everyone knows that if there's a problem with any of your technology, you report it to him. So we need to let him know right away if something happens. That way he can jump in and take care of it and fix it. Uh, you need to have a proper reporting mechanism in your organization. So when company, when employees fall for one of these things, they know where to go and how to report it properly. So then that reporting needs to be non-punitive, correct? You can't just sit there and hammer people or else they're never going to want to report. Oh, yeah. If they report it, next thing you know, their names in the, in the corporate newsletter saying, look at this moron who fell for these attacks or, you know, don't be like Chris because he got fished this month. You're never going to get someone to report it again because they're just that shame and embarrassment doesn't work. If it around the water cooler, they heard that Ron got canned because he clicked on a phishing email. You're never going to get someone to report. Right. It's so it, 
it needs to be let's fix it let's educate let's strengthen the weakness right and then move on uh, one of the techniques yes. i use with my 80 plus year old mom is that if she sees something say something if something doesn't feel right you know let me know ask somebody else i found that often as a great way to defeat social engineering hey this this email looks weird chris you know can you take a look at it for me before i do anything with it um just yeah that simple technique, very low cost, but very powerful just by getting someone else's perspective, almost taking a quick time out to check it out. And I also, with, uh, with older folks, I tell, I tell people, you know, set up a, uh, a safe word, mm-hmm. right? Because one of the scams that happen for like your mom or your grandma is they'll call and they'll say, hey, grandma, this is Ron. Listen, I'm in Mexico. We came down for a bachelor party. I got myself in a little trouble and I'm in jail. You know, I don't want to tell my wife she's going to kill me. Can you just like loan me five grand for bail and I'll pay you back soon as I get home. They won't let me access my accounts. Grandma wants to believe it's you because you're calling her grandma. So she wire transfers uh, the 5k and it's a scam. Um, So we, we set up code words, you know, grandma, you know, our code word is whatever, you know, banana there it is you know and if, when you say oh okay ron i can wire that what's our code word if they don't know the code word sorry i can't help you that's a great simple tip as well setting up those code words and you can see that uh, or hear that from the source as well fascinating any other quick tips before we begin to wrap up for business leaders regarding social engineering or human hacking a lot of times what I see with business, uh, the business leaders is they may get frustrated when they start looking for how do I, how do, I do this? How do I secure my company? Uh, what, what's the options out there? And right now, because it's the new, you know, the new hotness, everyone's jumping on the bandwagon, and you're going to find a million solutions, and they can get frustrated. So I try to tell people, don't get frustrated. Uh, do a little bit of research. Uh, read as much as you can on the problem and then look for solutions that fit your, you know, your ideas of, of what it is that you can do for a company um, as well as, uh, as your budget. And, and those things are important. There's a lot of resources out there and this is of course, very self promotional, but like on our org, we do a lot of non salesy education, right? So because our org is, we're, we're not, it's not our corporate entity. So and of course in our corporate entity, we're pushing our services but in the dot org, we're helping people think about here's the, the type of training you may need. Here's the things you need to focus on for your employees. And uh, reading resources like that, and there's many others that you can go to, um, you can start to build an idea of how it is you may want to protect your company. You know, um, a simple explanation of that is, yeah, sure, there's lots of phishing and vishing services out there. But let's say you, you're, you're predominantly a call center in your organization and your call center people don't use email. Well, then maybe you don't need phishing services for the whole organization. Maybe you need more vishing services, right? So uh, thinking through what are your potential attack vectors that will release the biggest problems for your organization and then trying to focus on, on uh, areas that can help improve and strengthen that. I fully agree with what you were saying about your website, the social-engineer.org, being a tremendous resource. And I'm not saying that just to build your ego as a way to social engineer you. 
uh, I've been using it for as long as it's been around. In fact, the books that you've produced are Cybersecurity Canon Hall of Fame winners. I used the social engineering book actually in a university class that I teach. And time and again, I have students who mention it as being such a great book. They can't believe that it was required reading, but they got so much out of it. So it actually is one that I recommend, not just to, to build your ego again, but as a great resource to learn about the laws of influence from Robert Cialdini in a very uh, easy to digest format. So I appreciate uh, all that you've done over time to help build the awareness and the art and science of human hacking. I do have one last question for you, Chris. By the way, I appreciate that. That was very kind, so thank you. Very, very true. Uh, Last question. Who influences Chris Hadnagy? Who can social engineer you? Wow, that is a very good question. Well, I would say first and foremost, my daughter. Um, (laughs) She can basically get anything she wants out of me. (laughs) So that's that's one. But you know what's interesting about that question is, um, and this this is terrible because I'm now like outlining how to hack me, but um, really it's it's anyone who knows my communication profile and can learn, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say what it is, but can learn what the motivators are to influence my decision making capabilities, and uh, those people tend to get further in in influencing me. Uh, to take an action that may or may not be in my best interest. <laughs> and just as an aside, the, the fish that got me um, was an Amazon fish because I'm an Amazon junkie. And it was uh, it was uh, uh, a fish that told me one of my recent orders had been declined. It was a very stressful week. And bam, I clicked on this fish and started putting my credentials in before I realized I was on an actual hacker website and not the Amazon website. So... <laughs> um, you know, there that won't work again. Anyone who's listening, but <laughs> worked that one time, and uh, and I was like, "Dang, wow, that was really good," and I, I fell for that. And, and we all are vulnerable to mindlessness. We're just not paying attention due to stress or busyness or what have you. So, shows that we're all human, right? Hundred percent. Ellen Langer is the psychologist who did research into mindlessness, and in her book um, uh, "Becoming an Artist," she talks about how. Uh, any one of us can can fall into that trap. Yes. When we're when we're focused, our focus is somewhere else. It can create a situation where we mindlessly take actions that could put us in danger. Simple solution: just try to be aware of your surroundings, uh, knowing how to handle these types of incidents and events when we're being social engineered, whether it's by our daughter or a salesperson, <laughs> or yeah, something through the internet can happen to any of us. Well, thanks again, Chris, for your time today. To learn more about Chris Hadnagy and his social engineering skills, check out his website, social-engineer.com and social-engineer.org and on Twitter, at Human Hacker. Thanks again, Chris, for your continual work to educate on the dangers of human hacking. Thank you. This has been the Business of Security Podcast. Thank you, listeners, for joining me today. Please come back for more thought-provoking conversations from security leaders. 
Thanks for listening to the Business of Security podcast. A special thanks to today's guest, Chris Hadnagy. Our host today was Ron Warner. Connect with Ron on LinkedIn and learn more about his company, RWX Security Solutions, online at rwxsecurity.com. Our next podcast episode features George Finney, Chief Security Officer at Southern Methodist University. You've been listening to the Business of Security podcast, and that's a wrap.